to thank the worship team for their uh, for their worship this morning. I appreciate that. Some of my favorite songs there. Just get myself lost a little bit, and I'm just I love singing those songs. So thank you for those those selections. Um, before we get going today, I uh, was talking to some of the fellas, and and uh, the, I got to know Mary. What what went down at the senior luncheon? Uh, something I, I she doesn't remember that so I don't you can blame John for that so <laughs> what happens at senior luncheon stays at senior luncheon so, uh. <laughs> talking a little high okay well, today, uh, well, kind of a, another crazy week. Uh, I'm so glad that, you know, in the family of God, we can, we can have fun and laugh and tease one another and have a good time. Because with weeks like what we just had, we need that. We need to be able to, uh, to join together in fellowship and, and in love and, and to be able to encourage and to to help one another and to love one another. You know, as I look out, I see, you know, some missing spots where, you know, normally we ha- we've had people. It's been a few weeks we haven't seen, you know, some of our friends. And, and I would encourage all of you, uh, if, if there's somebody not here that you, you know or you notice, give them a call this week. Shoot them an email. Uh, shoot them a text. Uh, drop in on them. I mean, whatever. Get, you know, just encourage them. You know, I'm just checking up on you. I we miss you. I love you. I love to see you. Uh, love to see you at church. And and uh, you know, sometimes people who uh, you know who skip out for different reasons. And I know we got a lot going on. We got basketball games, and we got 1,800 other things happening. But sometimes we do get in a rut where you know you you miss a Sunday, and then it's easy to miss another Sunday, and then next thing you know, you've missed a month, and then, you know, sometimes it, it, just a phone call, just a, a gentle reminder uh, is all it takes, and, and in sports, we often tell the kids to, you know, pick each other up, got to keep going, you get wiped out on that play, all right, well, your buddy's there to get you up and keep you moving, sometimes we need that, we need one another to, to encourage each other to keep, keep going. Keep going. Well, here we go again, you know, with what's happening in the media and, and in our country. Uh, we've had another rough week. And, uh, you know, I, I really had hoped we'd be able to start to move beyond, you know, what had happened. But it, it seems to be uh, an issue that, that continues to plague our nation our world, and I think it's one that will not anytime soon, you know, just suddenly stop, uh, as we, we tend to be accelerating on towards, you know, j- just a breakdown, you know, and, and the Bible says, and you know, and it, eventually people's love for one another will, will grow cold, people will forget to, to love and to it, uh, you know, people will look out for themselves. People will strike out and lash out in anger and, and do things that are unfathomable. Uh, 
Um, Jesus warned us not to be shocked when these things happen. And he tells us to, of course, to love and to pray and to reach out, but not to be shocked because all of these things will happen before eventually God's kingdom becomes a reality for all of us. One of the things that I've noticed this week after what happened in, in Florida, and it was a, just a horrible, horrible event. I mean, as a school teacher, you know, I shudder to think of what those kids went through. Uh, I just, I, I think of that all the time. Uh, the staff, the coaches, everybody involved in that. And uh, just this week, we did another, we had a lockdown drill at school, you know, the day after it happened, you know, just to practice once again what we're going to do. And with what happened at West Liberty and with Logan, Cole, uh, it, it br brings that all, the reality of it, that much closer to people in this community. That yes, things like that can happen, even right here at home. But one of the things that I've noticed this week that I hadn't seen so much before is we're, we're finally beginning to see, unfortunately, many people lashing out in frustration at, at what's going on. I mean, somebody's got to be to blame for this. We got to fix this. Uh, the the, the media is all over that. I mean, it's constant. You know, what's the problem? You know, what's going on? What have, what's causing these things? Well, we're starting to see celebrities. We're starting to see uh, talking heads. We're starting to see students and children for the first time begin to question whether or not prayers actually work. Does it do any good to pray? All your prayers and your thoughts for the for the wounded and then for those who have lost their families. Is it doing any good? You know, we're starting to see that kind of attitude sneak in. If, move ahead here. I want to show you. A, many of you may not know who this man is. This is Neil de, deGrasse Tyson, who is a very fantastic scientist, astrophysicist, extremely intelligent, a fantastic teacher. He's also uh, an atheist and very uh, anti-church. I don't think he's anti the, the concept of, of faith. Or, well, yeah, I would say that. <laughs> Actually, he would be. Uh, as a scientist, if you can't prove it, you can't believe it. And he tweeted out this week, Evidence collected over many years obtained from many locations indicates that the power of prayer is insufficient to stop bullets from killing school children. We're seeing more and more people kind of leaning into that, that idea. This new attitude towards prayer and towards God, uh, just as, as we see more and more people being killed in places like schools, you're going to continue to see people's love continue to, to grow cold, you're going to start to see people have an animosity towards things of faith, things that they can't put their finger on. And once again, God's going to be called out and uh, given the blame for something that was entirely the fault of a human being, of a person who acted on some impulse and thought it was in his best interest to murder you know, all of those people to cause that kind of problem. Now, during Jesus' ministry, let's move ahead. I don't want to look at that guy. Thank you. <laughs> in, 
Anyways, uh, during the, the time of Jesus, during his ministry, he was often asked the same kinds of questions that we're having today. Why, why do these things happen, Lord? Why is this happening? Uh, people had questions that they wrestled with, with Christ, and Jesus was there with them. Why do bad things happen to the righteous and the innocent? Why do these things happen? And I've preached on that more times than I care to remember. But it's something, once again, I think we have to take a look at. During that time, it was common belief that if uh, sudden death, a tragedy, uh, or somebody you know, died suddenly, uh, one of the beliefs that they had during the time of Christ was that that death always signified divine displeasure over some particular sin. God had had it, he was fed up with that person, so bam! You let him have it. If you died tragically, it was assumed you were guilty of some severe immorality. And they asked Jesus about this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 13. If you don't, I've got the text up ahead here. And uh, I, I love this, uh, this little story here because it in times like you know, what we've had the last week, I, I look back on this and think, eh, I'm sure so happy this is in there. But uh, Luke chapter 13 now on the same occasion, chapter or verse one, I'm sorry. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. What on earth are we talking about here? Well, apparently, what had happened was that Pontius Pilate, and you remember Pilate, he would come up again at the end, you know, with uh, you know Christ would go before Pilate and. And eventually he would wash his hands of Christ and, you know, hey, you guys take him, do what you want with him. But Pilate was a pretty cruel person as, as a leader. Sometimes he, we kind of miss that, I think. He comes off more as a befuddled kind of clueless guy. But apparently, according to the Bible, at some time there were people, there were Galileans who were massacred by Pilate. Now, it also indicates they'd mixed, whose blood he had mixed with their sacrifices. Either he massacred these people while they were at worship, or more than likely, they were uh, Galileans who had uh, risen up against the Romans. And there were groups that did that. So we've got to fight back. Well, the Romans caught them and took them to the temple and had them killed there. And had their, it was a slaughter in the, in the temple. So the story comes up, and Jesus, he's going to address this. And Jesus said to them, verse 2, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now it's interesting what's going on here. Jesus is pointing out sinfulness has nothing to do with it with what happened. These people were massacred by Pilate. Something had happened. It was a, it was a, a horrible event. 
And Jesus gets, he says, I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking these Galileans had it coming, didn't you? That they, uh, they, they were sinners and, you know, Pilate went in and he killed them all and well, good riddance to them. Jesus is pointing out, look, those people are no different than you are. Nobody's more sinful than anybody else. Sinfulness has nothing to do with it. And it's interesting that Jesus does not address the idea of whether it was fair or not, or why it happened, or why did these innocent Galileans have to get butchered by the... And he didn't go into that. He simply acknowledged that tragedies occur to everyone. Good and bad. Whether you're good, whether you're bad, we're all subject to the same scenario. All of us are subject to bad things. The good and the bad, the righteous, the unrighteous, we are all at risk of being murdered. And it's not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we believed or said. It's simply because there is no why. To drive this point home, he goes on here in verse 4. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Apparently there was a tower that, that fell down and killed 18 people. It was a tragedy. Why did this happen? Jesus doesn't answer the why. But what he is interested in, I find, in both of these scenarios, with the Galileans and what happened with the tower that fell and killed a bunch of innocent people, Jesus immediately turns to the idea of repentance. Well, that's not very nice. I thought maybe Jesus would maybe raise him from the dead again or maybe put his arm around me and... And love me and, and do that. Well, yeah, I'm sure Christ, he, he longs to do those things. The father, it talks about gathering his children like a hen gathers the babies under its wing. God loves us. He doesn't forget about us. But the issue here with Jesus that he wants to drive home was not that catastrophe happened, not that evil had happened, but that, yes, it did happen. And the issue now is to repent. We don't hear a lot about repentance in the church anymore. I'm talking the, the, the worldwide church. Repentance is at the heart, I think, of the gospel message. Jesus did not deny the connection between catastrophes and human evil, for all such afflictions ultimately stem from the curse of humanity's fallenness. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, and I don't have a, a scripture for this, but Genesis chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 17. Now this is after the fall. And everything had been perfect in the Garden of Eden. Everything was as, as God had intended it to be. The relationship between God and man. You know, Adam and Eve and God was perfect. But then sin enters the world. You know, God had told them, you know, you can have anything you want. 
just the, the, the tree down there, don't touch it. Leave it alone. So what happens? They, they go down there and pick the fruit, and here we go. Now, whether you believe this is a literal event or a figurative event, the point is, because sin entered the world, Verse 17, then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you. Now don't miss this. It's not, God's not mad at Adam because he listened to his wife. Fellas, you should listen to your wives. I'm finding more and more every day. If I would just listen to my wife, things would be a lot easier. Oh no, he's still screwing up, fellas. I... Point is, Adam had willingly participated in, in a sin. He did something he knew he shouldn't have done. You can't blame it on Eve. You did it, Adam. Sin had entered the world. And because of that, verse uh, 17, uh, in the middle there, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. That's the punishment for sin. Sin enters the world. And as far as the relationship between God and man, it would become contentious. The, the relationship between the man and his wife would become contentious. It would take God to keep those things going. Because sin had entered the world, death enters the world. It was not God's plan for Adam and Eve to die. They were creation to live forever in fellowship with God. But because of sin, because they willingly defied God, sin was in the world. And in the face of a holy God, sin requires punishment. a curse upon mankind, that through our life we're going to struggle. There are going to be many things that are going to hurt us. There are many things that are going to make us question our faith and our belief. All of this is a symptom of, of this, this disease we all have called sin. I don't believe it was God's will for sin to enter the world. But I think God knew sin would enter. And because of that, from that very day, we've had a life filled with turmoil, with struggle. You will go through your life. It will require struggle. It will require work for you to, to sustain. Therefore, when people were to ask Jesus, I mean, why do these things happen? I mean, Jesus is like, Sin. It entered the world. And it will be in the world. Things happen. Gene, or Jesus warns all of us that the need is for repentance. Because any one of us could be suddenly killed. Any one of us could be suddenly caught in a school shooting. I haven't thought much about it, but in my little car accident, I, they could have hit me on the other side. I could, I could be gone right now. That's how fast life can change. And Jesus warns us that 
Not that things like that aren't going to happen, because they are. But we need to be prepared to repent. All of us are in danger of sudden destruction. But the Bible, in 2 Corinthians, there's a verse that talks about, now is the time for repentance. Not tomorrow. Not next week. I'll get around to being a Christian next month. I get my uh, tax refund then. I, I can afford to maybe throw in a few. You know, whatever. Uh, no, the time for repentance is now. And what is this idea of repentance? Because we don't talk about that very much in the church anymore. The idea of repentance is that you turn away from something. In this case, you turn away from sin and turn towards to God. Yes, it means you have to give up some things that you used to enjoy that are sinful. Because as long as you continue to do those, like Adam and Eve, you're going to have this contentious relationship between God and you until that finally gets dealt with. Calamitous judgment is coming to all if we do not repent. I think that's the moral of the story that Jesus is talking about. Bad things happen. These people got wiped out. A tower fell on these people. All these things happened in this school. Today is the day to make the decision to repent. Today is the day to turn your life to Christ. I was reading uh, on Facebook, Alan Kane, who's the pastor at Lawrenceville, he had a, a couple thoughts that I thought were pretty cool this week. And uh, he was pointing out that, yes, this tragedy of, of this last week in Parkland is, is horrible, beyond imagination. But the greatest tragedy, and we don't know for sure, but the greatest tragedy is that some of those kids, some of those adults, probably didn't know Christ. That's the tragedy, that they never had time to repent, that they didn't repent. And there should be a, an urgency on our part to, yes, share prayers and you know, thoughts and prayers, but also to encourage people. You're not going to like this, but I'm a Christian, and you need to understand that I believe a day is coming when God will judge us. And because of what has happened, today is the day for repentance. Don't put it off. Today's the day for salvation. You know, as for prayer, I know that uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson doesn't believe in prayer. But many people are hurting today with that, that problem of pain. You know, why is it a, a loving God allows you know, bad things to happen? And You know, was it God's will that these kids died? Was it God's will that these things happened? I don't believe that it was God's will for that shooting to happen. I think in the context of his divine, you know, the whole schmear, I think God understood that's going to happen. When sin entered the world, a whole lot of those things are going to happen. They're peppered all across human history. I can teach you a bunch of it. Um, but I believe that it's not God's will that kids get shot up by a mentally insane individual. 
However, we live in a society that has forgotten God. I'm going to get a little rough here, but I think we need this. We believe in this country, in the American church, I think a lot of us have a, a we believe in a cheap grace. A cheap grace. A grace that seems to say that all of us are going to get saved and that all the lives are, all of it should be free of consequence and guilt and we're all good people and when we all die, well, we're all going to the kingdom. We're all going to heaven or we're all going somewhere because a loving God wouldn't. I mean, he's going to take us all. That's what God should be. The reality is, according to the Bible, is that what God wants is for us to repent. He wants to bring us to a place, I think, of brokenness in which we cry out to him. I'm so broken, I can't be anything else. God have mercy on me. I think this is what Jesus was talking about. He wants us to repent and to understand that being born again is more than just a, oh, I believe in Jesus. I guess I'm born again. It's more than just saying you're a Christian. A dear friend of mine, um, he's an artist, so he's a, you know, he's kind of an artsy guy, and he, he has a different way of looking at things. And We were talking about this this week, and he goes, you know what? Being born again, I think, is a reckoning of the heart in which we cry out to God, acknowledging our helplessness, our sinfulness, and understanding that through our brokenness, God, save us. When we get to that point, that's when I believe being born again happens. Too many Christians have a cheap grace. I go to church. I tithe. I'm going to the kingdom. Are you? Have you repented? Have you been born again? Grace is not cheap. It's something that costs Jesus his life. It costs him the, the whole idea of salvation is wrapped up in something that it costs somebody something. It costs Jesus his life. So are prayers worthless? Should we be like, you know, Tyson up there and, and just stop praying? Of course not. But I often wonder sometimes if miracles, uh, prayers, sometimes of that nature where we're expecting this big thing to happen, I don't know that that's going to happen. In Jesus' time, Jesus would often show up and do a miracle, turn the water into wine. He even raised Lazarus from the dead. Guess what everybody did eventually? They all spurned him. They turned their back on Jesus. This is the guy who came, he did all these miracles, and they said, wow, what a trick. I ain't got time for you. You're a nut. Jesus did miracles all the time, and he answered prayers. But in the end, the world rejected him, and it still rejects him today. So what did God do to make provision for that? Why doesn't God do miracles like that today? I still believe God does miracles, but I think that they're intended for a small group of people. 
for uh, an instant to meet something. I'll give you an example. Years and years ago, I don't know if there are many of you even remember this family. Um, the Larkin family. They had a, ch- a child, I think his name was Chad. And Chad was, I forget what he had, uh, I don't know if it was Downs or, or I'm not sure, but he, he had uh, some significant mental issues. And I believe he was deaf. I don't think he could hear. That was part of his problem. He couldn't hear. And the elders of the church one day laid hands on him in prayer. I believe they, were you an elder yet? Were you involved? You weren't involved in that? I mean, somebody had, I think they put oil on his head. I mean, just, and they prayed for him. Now, Chad didn't suddenly become healed of everything. But all of a sudden, he could hear. Because I remember talking to his mother, talking to different people, how after that had happened, they were, uh, had been doing something and somebody made a bang on something and he jumped and like looked. And they were like, he can hear. What's going on? He, you know, he can hear. Now he wasn't turned into you know, a fully restored person and, you know, and that thing. Chad was who God made Chad to be. But the point is, I believe that because people in faith prayed for him, that in some small measure, God sent a signal, not to just to Chad, but to all the people. I still love you, and I'm still here. Don't fall for the idea that I don't exist, that my prayers don't matter. I want my people to pray. And therefore, this is for you. That's the kind of prayers, that's what prayers do. That's the kind of miracles I think God bestows upon people. It's for the edification of his people. God is not a magic show. He's not going to do some magical thing where everybody who's an unbeliever gets to look at it and go, wow! That was for the church. That was for a child of God. Instead of God running around doing all the heavy lifting, God gave the world his church. He gave us to the world. Unbelievers who are hurting should not be asking if prayers work or not. What they should be asking is, why doesn't the church rise up and be the hands and the feet of God? Why isn't this church responding to this need? Why isn't the guy down the road, his house burns down? Why doesn't the church do something about it? We did do something about it. Nice job. You see what I'm getting at? God is alive in the world. God does do things for us in the world today. He does it through his church. That's why he gave the world the church. He still loves the world. I often think about, uh, you know, kids going to school and talking to somebody the other day, well, the reason this happened, they kicked God out of school. They kicked him out and back and whenever, and, and you know, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I said, you know, that's true. They, you know, the idea that you know, we can't speak openly about the things of God. But let me tell you this, church, if you go to school, and my young kids here, they all ran down to junior church. Oh, oh well. 
You can relay this to your kids. As long as you are a Christian and you go to school and you are a light to the world, you're salt, you're light, you're a city set upon a hill, you are a light to the, to the lost. God still goes to school, but he does it through you. God does that at your work. Do you take God to them? Are you the hands and feet of Christ? They can never repent if we don't take the message to them. It should not shock us that unbelievers question faith. People who don't believe in God, I mean, of course they're going to think praying is silly. That's because the prayers of the lost are ineffective. The Bible says the prayers of the righteous, of the righteous man are powerful and accomplish much. I believe the powers of the unrighteous, those who don't believe. And there are many people that pray all the time. As they pray, they're simply speaking words. So sure, if you're not a believer in Christ, and you're praying, I don't think your prayers, they probably poof, and that's it. Prayer is a, is a, is a street between you and the Father. Prayers of those who call ourselves Christians open up a spiritual pathway to the Father. Even if we're destroyed in this life, even if we suffer greatly while the the sinner lives a long, joyful life, we need to remember that our prayers are effective because they connect us with God. And as I spoke on a few weeks ago, it opens up His grace and His mercy. It becomes available to you. We should pray to God every day and thank Him that we live within His plan, that we live within grace, so that no matter what happens to us, no matter what happens to this mortal body, we have confidence and assurance of an eternity with God. That's got to get you fired up. (laughs) I don't know why God allows kids to get killed in school shootings. I don't know why. I know I'd, I'd love to ask someday. But I do know that God still loves the world. That God still loves you. Even though bad things happen. God still loves you. And God wants to give you grace. And mercy. As we give our lives to him. By serving in this world. Take time this week to think about the things that you're thankful for. I asked Jen this week to, some of the songs that we sing to be kind of, you know, peppy, kind of, you know, thank you, God, we love you, God, you're awesome. You know, and I I think, you know, I'm glad she picked out some good ones, some of my favorite ones, because yes, even in the midst of tragedy, God still calls us to to worship. One of the big hang-ups I have with Christian music these days is about every song and I used to work in the Christian publishing industry, so I know that uh, a lot of Christian artists are simply, they're, they're like secular artists. I mean, they, they market these people. They, you know, you got to find what the kids are listening to and the Christians. And, you, and a lot of people go for the, oh, God, life is so hard. Help me, God. You know, I'm a broken piece of... 
this and that. Those songs are appropriate sometimes. But not every song. Sometimes God wants us to rise up and sing. God, we love you. We thank you today. We praise your name today. Despite the fact that the tower fell down, killed 18 people, despite the fact that the Romans killed all those people at worship, despite the fact that we had a school shooting last week, God still calls us to pray, to worship, and to love one another. My challenge to you this week is to be the hands and feet of Christ. When you see somebody asking, where's God? Say, here I am. Here I am. How can I serve you? What can I do to love you? Let me be God for you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for oh, the chance to be here today. Today is the day to repent, to reexamine ourselves, and to maybe get ourselves right with you once again. To understand that being born again means being broken, and understanding that you know, bad things happen and will continue to happen in this life. That doesn't change the fact that you love us and that you call us to be ministers to a hurting, destructive, painful world. Father, we pray for you to bless us today. Bless this church, bless this community, and Come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen.